This is live from the Gold Dome. Ten or fewer people, and they should remain six feet apart at all times. Should anyone observe groups not adhering to social distancing orders on our waterways, beaches, state parks, or other properties, please report such inc incidents to DNR Law Enforcement Division by calling our Ranger hotline at 1-800-241-4113. Again, 1-800-241-4113. For those planning to enjoy our waterways, it is critically important to follow provided safety guidelines. Please remember these safety tips, just to name a few. Always wear a Coast Guard approved life jacket when boating and fishing. Children under the age of 13 are required by law to wear a life jacket while on a moving boat. Do not boat while under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Lastly, always swim with a buddy, never swim alone, and parents and guardians don't take your eyes off small children while they are swimming. To help enforce these safety protocols, our law enforcement division will have 85% of its statewide workforce on our state waterways and beaches to address boating violations, emphasizing boating under the influence enforcement, and monitoring for any violations of the governor's COVID directives, COVID-19 directives. As Georgians look to enjoy our great outdoors, our state park day use areas, golf courses, cottages, and campgrounds are open. But our playgrounds, splash, splash pads, and swimming pools will remain closed. All sites are following strict cleaning and sanitation protocols, including the CDC's guidance for administrators in parks and recreational facilities. Should a site reach admission capacity uh, or if social distancing is not possible at a certain point, our park staff can and will temporarily suspend day use admission until enough guests exit the property to reopen. Game wardens will be at our state parks and will have an increased presence at our heavenly used parks such as Sweetwater Creek, Cloudland Canyon, Red Top Mountain, and Tallulah Gorge to name a few. In closing, I want to thank every DNR employee for their hard work and commitment to keeping Georgia and its citizens safe every day. DNR is fully devoted to serving our great state during this complex time, and we will fully utilize our available resources until the job is done. Thank you again for having me this afternoon, and at this time, I will turn things over to Commissioner Gary Black. Governor, First Lady, good to see you today. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for the privilege of being here. Uh, I'd like to begin today with uh, to recognize three groups of, in particular that have been important in our operation. And as we've uh, all been dealing with this challenge uh, and doing, dealing with it together. Uh, first, I'd uh, call your attention to a little thing in my hand. I, uh, the 4-H pledge says something like this. I pledge my head to clearer thinking, my heart to greater loyalty, my hands to larger service, and my health to better living. Uh, 4-H'er uh, from Sylvester, Georgia, Worth County, Janiah Green, made sure that my health was for better living throughout this event, and I appreciate her so much. So this is, I'll, I'll uh, uh, everybody, uh, there's a great message for young people 
not just in 4-H, but to other leadership activities across the state. And my message to them would be, as we talk to adults, let's talk to young people too. Young people, it's time to be careful. It's time to follow the rules too. Uh, but I appreciate Janai helping my health to be better during these times. Uh, secondly, to my colleagues to the right, uh, we've had a chance to work together in unprecedented times, whether Dr. Toomey and Sheriff Owls, if we were dealing with our, uh, Colonel, excuse me, uh, as we were, we were dealing with, uh, uh, you know, challenges in some of our, our harvest operations and doing, uh, doing testing and remarkable response in, in that regard and helping those rural communities. And certainly with Director Bryce and our long-term partnership and uh, different types of supply chain activities that we've been doing, but uh, I tell you, a real hero and uh, Mark, Mark friend, uh, Mark Williams, uh, our partnership with DNR has uh, never been closer than it is today, but uh, a hero of the state of Georgia is uh, uh, a, uh, General Tom Carden and his team at the National Guard deserve all our thanks, all our praise. Uh, we've worked very closely together to make sure that food operations uh, stay open and make sure that our, our protein processing plants are operating properly, that we have uh, the proper equipment and certainly testing at some, uh, uh, some parts of this uh, adventure. So, uh, General Carden, my, my salute goes to you, sir, and to the entire uh, uh, Corps that we have, uh, we're so blessed with here at the Georgia National Guard. Uh, uh, thirdly, I'd like to thank uh, some heroes in, in my world. Uh, first, we want to thank those uh, producers, those farmers, those great Georgia Grown Farm families who are producing for you and I every day. But with uh, there, there's, there's a behind-the-curtain group of folks that need recognition, and those are the heroes that I get to work, for, work with every day at the Georgia Department of Agriculture. Particularly within our laboratories, uh, we, we've, never, we've not missed a beat during, that, during this entire challenge. Uh, we've processed, we've analyzed, and our technicians, our scientists have, have uh, processed more seed than ever before. Uh, we're back to certifying shipments for export. Uh, we've made sure that those businesses have stayed open. Uh, we're, we're dealing with challenges all throughout this. Uh, we, we all want Georgia-grown vegetables. I'm going to speak to that in just a moment, but uh, we, all, we want that now more than ever. But for our two, over 2,000 inspections during this spring that put a quarter of a billion vegetable transplants into the marketplace all throughout this time of challenge, we, farmers wouldn't have been prepared for the 2020 season, but they are. And there's some heroes out there that I have a chance to work with every day, and I'm grateful for you. And we'll, we'll keep working together to get through this together. Uh, the whole issue with our farm family right now is, is one of a, a terrific challenge. They began this season seeing what was happening in Florida, seeing that crops were destroyed, dairy products were destroyed. We were fortunate to have a three or four week window to begin doing some things proactively to try to address that to make sure it didn't happen here. But ladies and gentlemen, as many of us, we've had many opportunities to speak with the media in the last few weeks. There's no certain, uh, there's a certainty uh, that, uh, that when we lost food service, we lost school nutrition, we lost half of our market. So how do we replace that? How do we respond? And I'm so glad to uh, have some uh, positive news to uh, share with you today with respect to the response of our marketing team. 
Uh, we, uh, Georgia Grown is alive and well. Georgia Grown, matter of fact, I would suggest to you is, is needed now more than ever. You're going to see hashtag now more than ever. You're going to see hashtag by Georgia Grown now more than ever. And, and we already had those uh, efforts planned, but then COVID-19 hit. So how do we respond to the producers and their needs? And how do we pivot just a bit in the marketplace and get directly to the consumer? Because see, I think we'd all agree that we have the finest farm families, the Georgia-grown farm families, the finest farm production unit in this, this entire country. Uh, we produce the finest products. Our Georgia-grown produce and fresh vegetables are the finest in this land. And those 10, point, uh, uh, 10, 10 million Georgians here, are, I suggest, are the finest consumers. How do we pull them all together? How do we do it in a unique way and do it quickly so we can uh, we can address the needs of both the consumers and our production families all across this state. Uh, George Grown to, to Go has, uh, uh, was birthed and actually birthed in a, in a terrific way yesterday. Uh, I invite you to go to georgiagrowntogo.com and see what we have planned for in around suburban Atlanta. But uh, yesterday, uh, wonderful efforts with State Representative Casey Carpenter and Dalton. Ladies and gentlemen, 13,500 produce boxes from the farms of the state of Georgia were able to go direct consumer purchase in Northwest Georgia. And uh, shout out to my friend, Representative Casey Carpenter, for his, uh, his hero heroic work up there. Now, I'll tell you, I was up there for about six hours yesterday. Uh, I felt this morning that I touched 5,000 of those boxes, but uh, we were able to get them all uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a wonderfully organized event. That's going to continue this weekend. Tomorrow, uh, I will be with DeKalb CEO Mike Thurman. Georgia Grown to Go is coming to DeKalb tomorrow. Uh, we know there are vulnerable families. We want to address their needs, and uh, Mike Thurman has uh, provided excellent leadership in this, and we're glad to partner with him. 100% Georgia-grown products coming to his citizens and our friends there. I look forward to being serving alongside uh, Mr. Thurman tomorrow. Cobb County is Saturday. Georgia-grown to, to go in Cobb County is Saturday. We start in the morning, go until, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I can report to you today, just in two days of being in the market, over $100,000 in sales just in 48 hours. Pre-orders, produce boxes, great uh, Georgia products from all over the state. We're going to be excited to be gathering at, at Al Bishop Park starting Saturday morning. But I hope that uh, all of you out there would like to come. But uh, if we don't get to you right now, Sandy Springs is, uh, is underway, We're trying to work on some dates there. Uh, but Georgia Grown to Go comes to Gwinnett on May 27th, next Wednesday. It'll be from 3.30 until, and we'll be at Cool Ray Field there. So. Uh, Local leaders are joining together with our Georgia farm families, and then we're facilitating these activities, and it's going to be great for all of us. And so we're glad that we can play this, this uh, and very important part of linking consumers and our producers together during this critical time. There are others. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please, uh, please follow. Uh, we might probably have some viewers out there who would like to say, how, how could I purchase direct? How? Because that's a, that's a frequent question I'm getting these days. Okay, I'm a consumer. What can I do? The first thing you can do is go to georgiagrown.com. You can go to georgiagrown2go.com, too, to find out about the events. But at georgiagrown.com, 
there are over 250 of our Georgia businesses, farms, processors, manufacturers, food manufacturers that have product available online, and I hope that many of our viewers will be willing to do this uh, as we, uh, we wrap up this event. Uh, but uh, we're, we're here to stay all throughout this growing season and into the fall, the great partnerships that are being built, and we as a Department of Agriculture are going to be here to serve both farms and the consumers of the state. Uh, God bless you this Memorial Day weekend. Thank you. Well, thank you, Commissioner. And uh, let me just take a moment before we give it the question just to thank this whole team and many other people that aren't here today that have been serving our state during these unprecedented times. I think Georgians can be proud of the efforts that uh, many of us, some that you've seen through these press conferences and you know hundreds or thousands that you have not, that have literally been working 24-7. We're grateful for all of your service and all that you're doing to help us uh, respond to COVID-19 and the pandemic, but also uh, to work like Commissioner Black is doing to, to help our farm families from an economic disaster, but also uh, get those products to people that really need them and people that want to support them here. So I'm grateful for that as well as I am for the support from Marty and our girls during this time as well, and uh, many other people that are literally behind the camera. So with that, We'll uh, open it up for questions. Governor, this question is either for you or Dr. Toomey or both, but what specific steps is the state taking to ensure that public health data is accurate and transparent after repeated missteps in reporting the coronavirus figures over the last few weeks? Yeah, and I'll let Dr. Toomey speak to that. First of all, I just want people to know they can be confident in the data, but also, look, we're not perfect. We've made mistakes when we do that. We'll own that, change it, and make sure that people are aware of that. You know, I spoke to that earlier uh, in my remarks, and Dr. Toomey can, can speak to that here in just a second as well. But I also think it's important for people to know that, you know, I'm not following one data point. It's been kind of interesting as we've moved through uh, the pandemic and the response and what people have been focused on here and there, uh, what other states are doing, what we've been doing. But just know that every day, I'm looking at a lot of different data points that we're getting. We talk about a lot of those every day. There's some things that I see that, you know, we, we don't necessarily talk about a lot. There's a lot of minutia involved in that, but it's very helpful for me to be able to follow uh, those data points. And, and um, you know, so I think people can be very confident in the decisions that we're making are based on more than just one thing. And I'll let Dr. Toomey speak to that. Thank you. No, thank you. Actually, thank you for the question because I think it's an important one. You know, public health data are not a are not a um, simple process. As the governor stated, the data come from many, many different sources, and this is a novel virus. If you remember, we first reported the first case March second, and here we are just a few months later with thousands of cases. So this is an unprecedented um, ask of any surveillance system to, to ramp up this quickly, plus make the accommodations for the new technology because tests, new tests become available. Uh, and as the serologic tests are, are available, they now are being collected in addition to the PCR and other direct um, current um, COVID infection tests. 
And so it's, there's a lot of things happening as well as the new syndromes. We have nine cases right now in our state of the, the new pediatric uh, Kawasaki-like syndrome. That's something we had to start reporting um, just now because it was never recognized before. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is this is an unprecedented ask of, a, of, a, of health surveillance to be this agile and be able to expand this quickly. We're working diligently. We have a, a, a very competent team of, of skilled, largely CDC-trained epidemiologists working on the the data meeting many times daily, going over these data. About a month ago, you noticed a change the, the, in, the, in the way the website looked, and the, we got the assistance of uh, some SAS programmers to make it look a little more professional and, and up, updated. Um, we are working more closely with them to ensure that the graphics that get up there and the graphs that are displayed are consistent with the way we as epidemiologists look at the data. And we are meeting with them literally daily to ensure that that's going on. So that's new and will be continuing. So I, I think we, we recognize that this is important. This is an unprecedented ask for any public health system. But at the same time, these are this is a time when we need the public's trust, and we won't have the public's trust unless we can assure them that these data are accurate, timely, and do represent what's going on in the community. And we have a, a strong commitment throughout our, um, our, not only our department, but the districts that are working with us and all the many uh, reporters throughout the state. We do take in data from many, many different sources, not just our own uh, public health testing, but private physicians, hospitals. And so we have to amalgamate that and make sure that it's consistent. And sometimes there are things that aren't quite right. Uh, someone noticed that uh, Fulton today uh, lost a, a couple of cases. Well, it turned out that uh, it appeared that um, wherever that disease, that, that uh, patient was reported, actually lived somewhere else, but was tested in a hospital in Fulton. And so that'll, that change will be made within the uh, the data system. And, and, and so when you're looking at that, what does that mean that they, they made a mistake? It wasn't a mistake. This is the way public health data are. They have to be constantly updated, constantly reflect the new information we take in every day. And as we begin to more aggressively do our contact tracing, and as we interview our, our cases and, and get even additional information, we'll be updating those cases even more so we even have more information to have our surveillance system be even more uh, accurate. So that's a long-winded way of saying there's a lot that goes into public health surveillance that um, probably doesn't meet the eye. Quick follow-up, is it fair to say then that you've, you've implemented new accuracy checks to make sure there's no misstatements? That and more, more, um, more feedback, more information, more it, it, within our agency, more communication. Uh, and uh, more effort to ensure that it, these data don't just meet our, our needs as epidemiologists, but are presented in a way that the, our, that the public can use. Data are only useful um, if whoever's looking at it can understand uh, and, and 
understand and, and get, get the implication of what we're trying to say. It's not useful if only I as a trained epidemiologist can, can um, use it. And so I think that's part of the other thing is trying to ensure that there's some simplicity. But the, the you know, a website or, or data here or there should not be the holy grail. I mean, that, that should not be the only thing we look for. It's just one piece, it's just one tool that we use. You know, those interviews that we're doing with, with the, with the uh, patients, the interviews we're doing with contacts, all the work we're doing and outreach in the community, those community efforts, all this put together will help us better address what we're doing. So, uh, thank you. WSB News Time 520. You're listening live to the latest uh, state coronavirus task force briefing. That's the state health director, Dr. Toomey, Governor Kemp, and the other task force members uh, taking questions now from reports. There is a nursing home facility, Sparta Health and Rehabilitation. It's by no means the only facility which is doing this, but it's the, the one that I want to cite to you today. It was on the front page of the AJC. In that facility, there have now been 17 deaths at last check from the um, Department of Community Health's data release. There are 52 residents who, are co who have been COVID-19 positive and 20 staff who are COVID positive. I spoke with the spokesman from the North Central Health District and he told me that agencies aren't sharing data. The Department of Community Health isn't sharing that data directly with the Department of Health. And in the article from the AJC, it said that the, they do not have access to the other agencies' data. Since data is so important in this response, why aren't agencies sharing data? And an additional question with regards to that, what can the state do to compel nursing homes to report that data accurately and in a timely manner to all agencies. Dr. Toomey, if you could also. Yeah, and I'll let Dr. Toomey speak specifically to the situation in Hancock County. We've had many discussions about that. Uh, obviously here recently, I know General Cardin's team has been down there um, and, and you know, I spoke with uh, Commissioner Barry at Department of Community Health about that today. And you know, we may have to get some more information for him to fully follow up with your um, with your question, but I can assure you our focus, as I've said for over a month now, and certainly as we have seen our trends move in the right direction and our curve get flattened and our, you know, all these different metrics that we're using starting to go uh, in the right direction, headed downward, our focus continues to remain on the nursing homes. Uh, I spoke in long-term care facilities, uh, Director Bryson, General Cardin and I all spoke at length about that earlier today uh, at this press conference with our remarks about how we're going to continue to do the, do the infectious disease control cleanings, how we have been training not only nursing home staff but many, many other industries across the state to help them do a better job in this, the delivery of PPE supplies that FEMA, the Trump administration and the federal government are sending. Uh, what we're going to be sending, so we know we need to continue to focus there. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that we are doing everything that we can in a really tough situation. We've seen throughout the country this COVID-19 virus is, is deadly for medically fragile and elderly people, which is why we continue to have the shelter-in-place order in effect for those individuals, especially the medically fragile and those that are in our long-term care facilities. I have asked Dr. Toomey repeatedly 
as well as General Cardin? Are there other things that we need to be doing? And I believe that we're doing everything that we can now, but we also need, you know, other partners in the private sector that own these homes um, and, and the general public's help as well. This is just a tough situation that as you look around the country, I mean, half of our fatalities in Georgia just about are from these facilities. Uh, thankfully, our numbers aren't near as high as others, but we are not celebrating that. As uh, Colonel Val said, one life lost is one too many. But with that, I'll let Dr. Toomey speak to any specifics about Hancock County. No, thank you. I want to uh, specifically address two things. One is, I think there's never been more communication and coordination between the Department of Community Health and Public Health than there is now. We share data daily. Um, and so there is a lot of information going back and forth, and we actually have a list. And, and uh, if, if they know of cases that we don't know, you know, we take action on that. But in that particular facility, right now, today, I have a, a team of epidemiologists especially trained in infection control going down there, meeting with the staff and also the administrators to ensure that, that we identify any issues that are going on so that we can continue to mitigate this. And as I've said many times before, and, and the governor's remarks reflect that, is that we can, we can test and, and we can disinfect a facility, but unless they continue with good infection control practices, we're, not going, we're going to continue having these problems. And I see that as an ongoing role for our public health teams who may do spot testing uh, when they go in later, but also will continue doing this reinforcing, reinforcing infection control in partnership with Department of Community Health. And so there is a good deal of partner, partnership and data sharing about this and, uh, and other facilities as well. Governor Kemp, uh, who ultimately decides what data is or is not included on the website? Uh, and also, in uh, the effort of transparency, uh, are you guys committed to making sure that these uh, errors and mistakes that do happen are unveiled or uh, released before uh, they're called out by, by the media or somebody else? Well, I, I certainly am. Uh, you know, I've told people for months we want to be transparent. I have been. I'll let Dr. Toomey speak specifically. Uh, there's a whole team of people that are really, I think, deciding the data. We've added things as we've gone along. Uh, but I would just tell people to remember back to when we were reporting this data one time a day, we were getting pressured from people that we need more real-time information. We need to report, you know, every minute or three times a day or two times a day. And we started doing that to try to get the information out as quick as we can. And I think by doing that, uh, sometimes the information, and I'll let Dr. Toomey speak to this because I'm not over there with her team at Public Health every day, uh, but sometimes, you know, they may not be having the time that they need to check on these things. I've asked them to look at those procedures to see if there's something different we should do, perhaps like Colorado, who's taken and reporting a day later. So they're getting all their data today. They're not going to report it real time. They're going to report it this time tomorrow to give them more time. And I would imagine if we had done that over a month ago, we'd have got heavily criticized to do that. But it, it, right now, uh, my goal is to make sure we continue to be transparent and we have the right data up there. And if we don't, you know, we're going to own that and we're going to tell people what happened and then we're going to get it fixed and we're going to keep moving on. You know, this is something that public health officials um, 
you know, that are working in today's world, they haven't been through a pandemic like this, and they certainly have, haven't been through something like this where you have the, the real-time data apparatus that we have today. That is not what Dr. Toomey's team um, is, is, that's not what they're best at. You know, they're epidemiologists, they're public health officials, and that's what they do every day. I mean, until this pandemic, they haven't really had to deal with a, a massive dump, which she just talked about, of data on these issues. And we've been sending some people over uh, to help her with that. We'll continue to do that. And if she needs more, all she's got to do is ask us, and we'll continue to do that. Dr. Tim. One of the things that we've talked about is a public health surveillance system or data system uh, like this is, which is monitoring trends in disease, are, are never real time because you're already, uh, there's a delay in that test getting back, there's a delay in that report getting reported to us. Uh, for deaths, there's a delay in getting that death certificate. And, and things like um, Twitter or Facebook can be real time because that, uh, that may be posted by somebody as soon as they hear about uh, their test result, but we don't hear that test result until later. Uh, or they may, may post that they're feeling sick and they think they have it, but we may not get that information until weeks later. And so, in fact, our data are never actually real time. And I, I think, as the governor pointed out, that taking a little more time to be able to ensure that there aren't those duplications, because sometimes people may be reported by a laboratory and be reported by um, their doctor and be reported by a health department, getting those duplications and unduplicating data and, and making those corrections will make those data more accurate. Um, but these systems are to, but, but I think we're never designed um, to be looking you know, an hour-to-hour -hour basis and to see that's not the trends that we look at, but we look at a kind of big picture and where are we going. And we also generate hotspot analyses once or twice a week, and that has been very useful to identify area, areas that light up, particularly now that we're doing so much more testing with public health going out to pop-up pop sites um, throughout, the, uh, throughout the state where there hadn't been testing available before, as well as um, in nursing homes throughout the state along with General Cardin. And then where we see these, these areas of, of increased, um, increased uh, positive test results, we can quickly go in and do contact tracing and quickly go in and try to understand what's going on in the community. And I, I have to say, for example, in Gainesville, that it was actually not our surveillance system that told us about what was going on um, in that, with that increased transmission, but actually the community and the hospital themselves reported to us before our surveillance system was even sensitive enough to pick up on that. And that's why I say the, these data are not the only piece that trigger um, action on public health part and the part of all of us together as a team. It needs to be a much more comprehensive approach. And I think no data system, whether it be measles or uh, Legionella, or, or uh, this were designed to be looked at with this uh, scrutiny. I actually am grateful that the media are looking at this closely because often you can recognize things that I, I did not see or there are some inconsistencies that I didn't notice. Um, and so it's, it's not that we're trying to hide things. And there's no deception there. There may be a, a simple explanation that has to do with how the data were collected or or, um, or some of the other issues around 
um, where those data uh, were reported. And I hope that helps explain at least in part. At 531, if you're just uh, joining us for the 530 News, this is live coverage of Governor Kemp and other state leaders giving their latest coronavirus briefing from the state capitol, answering now questions from reporters. the ability to appoint a new justice. Do you believe Georgians should be electing their next Georgia Supreme Court justice? Well, first of all, I, I, you know, you'll have to talk to Justice Blackwell about why he resigned. And, you know, it's my duty as governor. I took an oath to follow the law. Um, of the state of Georgia, and that's exactly what I'm going to want to do. I know the legislature's weighed in on that issue uh, for many times over the years about how that process works, and that's the process that I'm going to follow. Hey, Governor Kemp, Hope Ford with 11 Alive. Uh, we know that there have been issues with uh, absentee ballots, some voters having to vote again, and some mailers being sent out with uh, the wrong date of the primary. So how is the state handling those issues and also advising counties to handle those issues? Well, as you're aware, we have a constitutional officer, Brad Raffensperger, who's the Secretary of State that's uh, administering elections in the state along with the county elections officials that actually hold the election. So I would refer that question to them, I have been focused on a pandemic. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 